All right, so this morning, in the third week of this series, I want to show you the how and the why we believe God is calling us into greater community influence. Um, if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles to Matthew 22, um, and also if you have your Bible, which I hope you do, um, go ahead and put your finger in Micah 6 as well. Uh, but before we get there, I want to just blow through some scripture this morning really quickly, and I want you to put your listening ears on for all you teachers, and listen to what I want to start talking about what the heart of God is about. And I know a lot of us are like, well, if I ask you a question, what's the heart of God? What's, what does God believe? What's he, what's he want for the world? There's a lot of different opinions, right? But I want to go to Scripture, and I want to read these verses, and I'll, I'll tell you the verses if you want to write them down as I go. But basically, I just want to blow through these quickly to gain some context on what the heart of God looks like. Okay? So the first one is Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. Exodus 3, 7 says, The Lord said, because of their slave drivers, Seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard their crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. God is concerned about suffering. Psalms 11:7. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. Jesus, God, loves justice. The upright will see his face. Psalm 68, 5 through 6. Says God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of the widows. Is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in sun-scorched land. Psalm 72, verses 12 through 14. For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for oppression is their blood in his sight. And then Psalms 146, 6 through 9. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. Thank goodness. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. Now, I want you to hear this this morning, that God uses his church to care together to reach out to their day society in the world. He uses the church, the mosaic of the church coming together to reach out to the prisoner, to free the captive, to feed the hungry, to help the poor, to help lift up the oppressed. He uses your hands and your feet and your voice to do those things. Remember last week we talked about church investment? He uses those things in us to carry out the purposes and his plans on this earth. And that's awesome to be a part of that, right? Okay, the three of us are going to be fired up. We're going to go do these things. Listen, now, listen, now as God's image bearers is what you're called. You're, you're, you're created in the image of God. He's called us to be his ambassadors of righteousness and justice in the world. Even, you can look back at it as far as Genesis 18 with Abraham. And he got, you know, Abraham, God has placed his plans and purposes in Abraham's heart. And let me tell you, if you're a follower of Jesus, it says all throughout Scripture that you're now Abraham's seed is what you're called. But we've been given the same responsibility as the seed of Abraham. You can look in, in chapter 18 of Genesis. It says this, verse 19. God says, for I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to, to keep the way of the Lord by doing right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he had promised, which is the promised land, which is heaven for us which is the kingdom of God for us. And we believe according to scripture that every single human being in the seats outside these doors, person ever has ever lived, whether they're a believer or not, they are made in the image of God. 
every person, and they all, they all have equal value and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness no matter who they are, no matter what they do for a living, no matter what they look like, and no matter where they live. Can we agree on that? That is exactly what the Bible says, but that is not how our world operates, sadly. It operates completely opposite, and sadly, that's not how some churches operate. It makes me sad and sometimes mad, man, because humans, we constantly, we, we, we change the boundary lines of good and evil to, 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 to make our own lives make sense, to justify what we want to do, to meet our agendas, and, and oftentimes it's at the expense of other people. And it's bad, and, and unfortunately, you see, the, the, the weaker someone is, the easier it is to take advantage of those people or to look past them or to, to look over them or run over them as you're going towards your goals. And unfortunately, the church has largely stood by idly as these types of injustices have happened over and over again all around us for so long. And sometimes we've even fallen victim to, into the same habits as the world has, to running over people to get to our goals, to, to meet, meet our goal and do this and do that. And what is this? What this does is it creates injustices in our society and, and they, our culture where people get overlooked and, they, and they're pushed to the edges of society and, and, they, and they're looked at as unimportant, just people. They're just looked at as unimportant. Well, so, so we look at Scripture, back when we just read about um, Abraham, and so what does it mean to be righteous and just? If you're looking at Scripture and you say God says God's giving you this, this job to do, you're supposed to do this, what does it mean to be righteous and just? And so I go back to the Hebrew, because that's the, that's the, the Aramaic and the Hebrew of this language. The biblical word for righteous in this context is zedekah. I'm not going to spell it for you because it's weird. But, um, it's, but so it's an ethical standard, basically, that refers to right relationships between people. People having right relationships with people. It means treating every person as an image bearer of God. Every person as an image bearer of God and, and having the same dignity, giving them the dignity they deserve and not overlooking people who may look differently or sin differently than you, right? And so what that does is it brings us to Matthew 22. I just told you to turn there. Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40. And the Sadducees and the Pharisees were trying to test Jesus, saying, hey, man, what's the greatest commandment? You know, trying to test his knowledge. And what Jesus does is he, he does a Jesus juke on them, and he drops the mic on their heads right here. He goes, he says, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God, the first and greatest commandment, your soul with all your mind. They're like, what? He says, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Neighbor in this context is a lot of times when they were talking about Gentiles or people who are not in the church, they, talk, they said neighbor. Most of the time they were talking about someone in Scripture that was a part of the church, they used brothers and sisters, brother, sister. Here, it's talking about someone who is not a part of your circle. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so there, then, then there's the word justice. We talked about a second ago, justice. The biblical word for justice is mishpah. And this is actually more accurately translated into restorative justice, restorative justice. You think about what restoration means. What does that mean? And what this does is it goes a step further, and it actually seeks out the vulnerable, not waiting for the vulnerable to come to your doorstep, but going to seek them out and, and, and helping them out. It means seeking out the vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of and help them, love them, 
meet them where they are. It means, it means taking steps of advocacy for the vulnerable and for those without a voice and help them and help to, for, to prevent the injustices that have been committed to those people in our communities, down the street. And this, this is what brings me good. And what does the Lord require? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And this is where Jesus comes in because what happened is God sought us out. We were vulnerable, we were lost, we were gone, we were dead in our sins. You were lost, you had no hope. Defeated, you were full of guilt and condemnation and shame. And in that moment, that moment of just death and darkness, God reached down through Jesus and declared you righteous and justice over your life that we had no business deserving. If you've put your faith in Christ, that's what's happened in the spiritual realm in your life. If you have not put your faith in Christ, that has not happened in your life. Let me be clear about that. The reason we don't, though, the reason we don't do what Jesus did, what God did through Jesus, is because it's not always convenient, right? It's not convenient to do those things. It's not easy. It's usually not easy. Um, it's, it's usually not convenient. It's hardly ever comfortable. I mean, it's hardly ever something like, yeah, let's go do this. This sounds fun. No, it's usually not those things, that, but it's usually whenever you get immersed in serving and loving people that God starts to waken you up to who you were created to be, and loving people becomes, makes a lot more sense as you start loving people in your life. It's about making other people's problems your problem. Because isn't that what Jesus did to us? He made sin his problem in this light of it being my problem. This is what Jesus meant in Matthew 22 when he said, love your neighbor. I, I, I mean, I love, I'm not sure about you, but I love myself pretty, pretty well. I, I, I mean, I love myself a lot. When I, the way I take care of myself, the way that I, my eating habits and the way that I care for myself and the things I buy for myself. And those, I love myself. I know we all do. But what does it mean to love someone as yourself? That is a, that is a strange love. But that's a godly love. That's what it says. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. And as a church, we believe at Connection that doing justice is an action. Doing justice is more than just serving once a month in kids. It might feel like you're doing justice back there. But it's more, it's more than, it's more than serving once a month in kids, or it's more than going to serve once or twice with one of our, one of our serving partners in town, whether it's Hosanna Helpers or whatever. It's more than working in a soup kitchen on, on Thanksgiving. It's more than that. We believe it's taking up the cause of the vulnerable and the hurting. We believe that doing justice is the, is the way that we fulfill the commands of God to love him and to love our neighbor. And so what this type of love means, what this type of justice and living means, it means this cannot be, and hear this, this cannot be squeezed in the margins of your life as a Christian. Saving your, saving your soul from damnation was not something that God did on the side. It's not something he did when he had time. It's something he, he, he changed his entire perspective on all these things and, and, came and came into man and came into the flesh and died for our sins. And so what this means is this has to, has to change and rearrange how we live our life. Has to. That is the only way that we're able to see us to care for our neighbors like this scripture is talking about. And this, if you were here last week, this is usually where the second generation church exits the train. It is. This is where they, I'm just going to go over here and come back over here to my comfort seat. You know, we kind of walk away from those things. But nearly every time in scripture, if you look in scripture, if you're a student of the word, if you look in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all through scripture, you look in 1st and 2nd Kings and all those places, anytime God's judged Israel in scripture, he mentions that 
that they have not cared for the marginalized people around them. You've not cared for people. God put Israel in place to be a light for the entire world. And you, are been, you have been grafted in as an Israelite, as a child of God, and when you became a Christian. And you have now have the same responsibility to be a light to the ends of the earth, to be a light to the world. And what he does when he's judging Israel, every single time he has mercy on them. But what he does when he judges them, when he loves he says, you have not cared for the poor. You have not cared for the marginalized. You have not cared for those people. And the critical question I want to ask you this morning individually, pretend like we're one-on-one right now. The critical question I want to ask you individually is how will our city, how will our world be different as a result of Connection Church being in existence? How will it be different? Will it be different? Will, it, will we make a difference? And I want to make something abundantly clear, and I didn't have this typed out in my notes to be this passionate about, but something's happening in my heart as I'm talking about this. It makes me fire up about this because this is what Jesus did for me. I want to make this abundantly clear and make sure that we understand this today as we walk out of this room, that unless a church is outreaching, unless a church has made the mission of God its mission, everything else it does is pointless and a waste of time and resources. Everything, all these conferences and all these committees and all these different things we try to do with our churches is a waste of time and resources if the mission of God is not our mission. Because it has to circle around the mission of God. Matthew 28 thinking, Acts 1-8 thinking, has to be the mission of God. Genesis 1-28 tells us to go, to multiply, to, to spread God's glory in all the earth. All the way to Revelation, that's the theme of Scripture. And I can say this with full confidence as I read Scripture. That a church not engaged, invested, and owning the mission is outside the will of God. A Christian is not engaged in the mission of God is outside the will of God. A Christian and a church of these perspectives before, the two things that they have in common is they need to repent and they need to get on mission. Those two things. And it's not a time to sit here, well, crap, I haven't been on mission my whole life. Oh, dang. No, get on mission. What you do is you get up, you stand up, you say, you know what, God, I'm sorry. I haven't seen people the way that you see people. I have, I've, taken the, the, I've taken the cross and the blood of Jesus for granted. God, forgive me. Let me walk with you, Father. Let me take steps of faith with you. That's how you change. That's how you repent. You move on. Don't let Satan get you in condemnation. Tim Keller, one of my favorite authors, have a hard time understanding. He's really smart. I'm not. Um, He says this, he says, if you are a Christian and you refrain from committing adultery or using profanity or missing church, but you don't do the hard work of thinking through how to do justice in every area of your life, you're failing to live justly and righteously before God. Man, that's hard, bro. But listen, a failure to show concern for the poor for the broken, for the vulnerable, for the orphan, for um, the people without a voice, who have no voice in society, the lost, the people who are going to hell without Jesus, shows a fundamentally, shows a fundamentally misunderstanding of the gospel. It means you don't get the gospel if you, if you don't have concern for those people. It means you don't get it. What I'm saying is if you don't have a concern in your heart for the lost, for the orphan, for the broken, for the poor, it is, what, what this means is either as I read scripture, that's what I see. What this is, what, what this means is either you've been, you're being self-deceived and living in sin of some sort, or, you've, or you have an unregenerate heart and you need to be saved from that. 
And that's where Jesus comes in. He changes our heart. And it's time for Christians, if you're a Christian in here, I'm talking to you. If it's time for Christians to get real with where they're at. Where, where are you at on this spectrum? Are we following Jesus in this area, in this way? And what, is this, what does your life say about your heart? Because your life is going to be lived out of an overflow of what's in your heart. So please hear that this morning. Is, let's look, to, let's look uh, we, can, we can look at Amos. Let's look how God responds to this type of heart. When the prophet Amos, um, and I know you guys don't really read Amos, okay? But like, whenever the prophet Amos confronted the nation of Israel about your, their, their neglect, their, their neglect of, of the poor and the oppressed, and they were, they were overlooking people who were, who were lost and, and gone astray. They responded with a lot of excuses. God, God through Amos, came and confronted them and says, what are you doing? And they, they responded with excuses. And I think they can kind of sound familiar to our excuses. The first thing they did in Amos chapter 3, uh, they said, but God, we're, we're God's chosen people. We're God's chosen people. And what they were saying is we're forgiven. We're God's favorites. But God responded in God's fat, godly fashion, that makes your sin even worse. That makes your sin even worse. You not only knew me as the lawgiver, but you knew me as father and redeemer. To whom much is given, much is required. And then they go to another excuse. Their second excuse, our religious zeal makes up for our moral shortcomings, God. How does that usually turn out in scripture? Right? Our religious zeal makes up for our moral shortcomings. At this point in history, Israel was good at going to church all the time. Never missed a morning. Never missed a small group. Always, they were doing a bunch of feasts. They were doing feasts to get these different things, these different seasons. But look how God responds in Amos chapter 5. He says, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. He says, they're a stench to me. We're not caring for the poor, the oppressed, if we're not an outreaching church, if we're not a church who's caring for the things that God cares about, this is God's response to our meetings on Sunday mornings, to our connect groups, to our, to our attempts to please God. Lord, just come in this place. We love you so much. He says, I hate, I despise your feast. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. You're, they're, they're a stench to me. Like, so my question this morning is we, we use the same excuses to pass on River Street, you know, for our neighbor that's lost or, or the poor or the broken or the person we walk past on River Street. You know, we say or, or we think, that, well, thank God he accepts us by grace. Thank you, Lord. Or we're not perfect, you know, we're, we're just forgiven. Oh, gosh, you know. But we cannot use or excuse ourselves with grace. What that does is it cheapens grace. It cheapens the grace of God that he's given us. If we've really, if we've really been forgiven, if we've really received grace, the grace that God's given us freely through Jesus, we'll be more passionate about caring for the poor and fighting for injustice, not less. That's, that's the heart of Christ in us working out his graces through us. And hear this is forgiveness is not a license to avoid these things. Forgiveness is not a license to avoid these injustices. It's a catalyst that drives us deeper into them, into those things. The, the forgiveness of God, it pushes us into those places that are, that, are, that, are, that are scary to go to. Amos 6, chapter 1. I'm not sure if it's on the screen or not. Yes, it is. All right. My man back there. Here we go. It says, woe to those who are at ease or complacent in Zion, and to who you who feel secure on Mount Samaria. You notable men of the foremost nations to whom the people of Israel come. And what that's saying is Zion is basically the kingdom of God. 
You've entered the kingdom of God. You've come into the place where you're at ease, who are lazy, who are stagnant, who are going through the motions of their faith. Those are the, those who are playing games or when so many around them are suffering, those who seek to pad their pockets before building the kingdom. And what that's saying is woe to you who are at ease in Zion, who have taken a, who've taken a seat and just said, you know what, God save me, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But while there's poor and injustice is going on around us. One of my favorite pastors, Charles Spurgeon, identified three groups that are at ease in Zion. Three groups that are at ease in Zion. The first person is the apathetic. They just don't care. They don't care. They're not, very, they're not cruel or vicious people. They just don't think much about the things that don't affect them. Anybody hear all that? They don't, they just don't, if it don't affect me, I don't worry. I ain't worried about it. That's bad. That's, you're at ease in Zion. The second person is the self-indulgent. Maybe they care, but they love their creature comforts, their things, their things a lot, their food, their, their internet, their tea, all the things of the world, their family, all these things, too much to actually sacrifice anything for anyone else. I like me. I like my stuff. Even my stuff is me. The last one is probably where I fall sometimes is the procrastinators. The procrastinators are at ease in Zion. These people know they are supposed to do good, but they're lazy. They do anything about the things they're... They care enough to retweet or repost things that matter, but they never really do anything about the things they're posting about. You know what I mean? I, I've, been, I've been in that boat a lot in my life. Well, that's, a good, that's a good quote, man. I repost that all in my life, you know? It's easy. We may not think we belong to any of these groups, but how many of us have failed to acknowledge the most desperate need of all that surrounds us all? People that are lost and going to hell without Jesus. People who are poor, people who are broken. This is the greatest position of privilege of all of us to occupy. We know the gospel. If you don't know the gospel, I'll, I'll sit down with you in five minutes and we'll go through it. We'll, I'll teach it to you. Okay? It's simple. The, the, the gospel is simple. And that's what drives a lot of people away from it because it's so simple. There has to be more. No, this is simple. It's, it's simple gospel. And what I want you to see is we know the gospel that has saved us from sin, death, and hell, and yet there are people around the world who have never heard of it and do not have access to it. That makes me sick to my stomach. People need to hear the message of the gospel, the truth of the gospel. And don't you think if we're sitting in a comfortable air-conditioned building talking about Jesus and we talk about how awesome Jesus is and the gospel, don't you think it's right for us to say that we owe them the gospel? We owe them the gospel. We owe it to them because much has been given to us. We've been blessed. We owe the unreached gospel. They need to hear the message of Jesus. We have to care. We have to go. And I wonder if God would look at us today and say, woe to you who are at ease at Connection Church and the kingdom of God while so many perish. When he look at all the attention that we give our worship services and the 6.30 morning that we come here and set all these chairs up perfectly in a row and say, I hate, I despise your church services. I take no delight in hearing your sermons. Don't, no comment. Though you, offer, though you offer me a moving experience in worship music or, or sermons, I won't accept it. Listen, every single person in here has to hear this. If we're busy, if we're busier playing church, then we are getting our hands dirty for the poor, the lost, the broken, then the verdict is entirely possible that God looks at us that way. We have to be a church that is outreaching because every saved person on this side of heaven 
owes the gospel to every unsaved person this side of hell. We have to, to give that away. And the way that you can tell that you've understood the gospel is that you see people in need physically, emotionally, and spiritually, and you instinctively pour yourself out to them because you know they need the love of Jesus and you know that you had the love of Jesus in your heart. And as we talked about uh, last week, the best way for us to reach our community as a whole is to do it together. Because the church moving together is the way that God has, has laid out that we're supposed to reach the mission of God in this city in unison. Because a unified church is unstoppable. A unified church is effective. A unified church will reach the ends of the earth no problem. And as a church, here at Connection, we're creating things we call plumb lines. Anybody knows anything about connect, uh, construction, plumb lines? Keep your walls straight, basically. We want to stay straight in these things. And, and basically what we're calling these plumb lines is they're short statements that we at Connection will use for the rest of our time as a church as rallying points. Rallying points in our church, both for our staff and for the entire church. They're going to be a way for, to encapsulate our ministry philosophy in short, memorable statements that you'll know. That you'll know. And my hope is that these will become a language that we speak at Connection. And basically, that somebody I know you go to Connection by the way that you talk. By the way that you talk. And my hope is that these will become your personal plumb lines in your life as well. And there, I'm going to give you three. There's probably about 15 or 16, but you'll, you'll see them later. But um, the, for the main three that I love about this sermon here is the first one is loving our neighbor doesn't happen without knowing our neighbor. Loving our neighbor doesn't happen without knowing our neighbor. That's a, that's a statement you can remember. Loving our neighbor doesn't happen without knowing our neighbor. That means we're going to serve places. We need to get to know people, not just hand them some bread and water. Passing them into your home for a meal is a whole nother one. Everywhere Jesus goes in Scripture, he took time to slow down, to form relationships with people, that, and they let them know that he loved them. Every ministry partner or initiative that we start here at Connection Church will be done with this in mind. If we don't form relationships with the people we're reaching, we're failing. And it's more about us than it is about them. Our goal is to create ministry opportunities that are mutually effective and create sustainable outcomes for people that we reach, not just temporary relief. If we reach somebody who's homeless, my goal is that we get them out of homelessness, not that we feed them, not that we give them water. I want to equip people. That's our heart as a church. And this is long-term thinking. This is not next week. It's going to take ownership from us as a church as a whole. The second thing, people are the mission. People are the mission. Everything we do has to revolve around reaching people. Every ministry, every relief effort, every mission trip, every Bible study, outreach will always be about people. And what that means, people are the mission means all people, good, bad, saved, lost, church, unchurched, dechurched, hate church. Pharisees, politicians, saints, sinners, all these things. Jesus didn't give options on what kind of people we were supposed to reach. If a pro or church, we're going to initiative or whatever ministry ever loses focus of people being the center of our, our church, we're going to shut it down. It's done. People are the mission. The last thing, number three, the one takes priority over the 99. The one takes priority over the 99. I'm not sure about you. But I am so grateful that God reached down and pursued me as I was a lost sheep. I'm thankful that he pursued me. I would have not turned to God if it wasn't for him pursuing me. And you wouldn't have either if you're a believer here this morning. So my question for you, I always want you to be asking yourself for the rest of your life, whether it's at this church or any church, 
the rest of your life, your question to yourself in the mirror, when you wake up in the morning, you're done brushing your teeth and all that stuff, who's my one? Who is my one? Who's my one? Who's the person that God's put on my heart to reach for the kingdom of God? Who's my one? So my questions are going to be a lot. Who's your one? Who's your one? Who's your one? Who's your one? And what I want you to see is we're not asking who's your one because we're thinking small. We're asking it because we know that if everyone in our church thought like this, God would turn our city upside down because every single person will be thinking about the next one. And in the next 10 years, we'll be a church that is all about this. That is, we want to be a church that has planted people and ministries in other cities that are effective and sustainable. And they are doing the same things in the cities that we plant around the world. And, the, and it's, we want to send missionaries. It's going to be determined by your level. Of, but all of this big thinking stuff is going to be determined by your level of investment in what God is doing. We can only go as far as we are invested and rooted in the mission of God. We can only go as far as you carry the mission as your own and not mine. We can only go as far as your ownership allows. And my question today as we end is will we be a church that changes our community by our level of investment in it? I believe we will. But my question is to you, do you believe that? Are you ready to get our hands dirty? Are you ready to jump on board with that? And so what I want to tell you is it all comes back to two questions we've been asking. Does, your, does God get your first and your best in all things? And is my relationship with God the one thing that drives everything else in my life? Those two questions should drive your entire life. And as we're here this morning, talking about community investment, I want to tell you that until you are giving your life completely over to Christ and saying, Jesus, you're first, you're Lord of my life, you're everything I need, I'm all up for you, Lord Jesus, I'm all in. Until you've done that, first of all, you can't understand what I'm talking about today. And secondly, you can't take part in that because you're not yet a part of the church. You can volunteer, you'll get tired. The Holy Spirit inside of us drives us, moves us, moves us into action. And so this morning, I want to ask you where you're at. Do you know Jesus? When you're driving down the road, when you're by yourself, when you're laying in your bed looking at the ceiling, do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Or do you just know about him? You've been, I've been a part of a Baptist church my whole life, pastor, whatever. You know, no, do you know Jesus like you know your wife or your husband? Do you know Jesus like, do you know Jesus? Because knowing about him won't save you. You can know all the facts about God and still die apart from him. So this morning, if you don't know Jesus and you want to, I want to lead you in that. If you don't know Jesus and you want to take that step, Eric was talking this morning about taking next steps. If that's you this morning and you've never stepped into a relationship with Jesus where you're walking in step with him, not knowing about him, but knowing him in a one-on-one -on -one type setting. If that's you this morning. You want to do that A connection? We like to be bold, so we like to ask you to raise your hand. If that's you this morning, I want to pray with you personally and walk you through that step. Is that anybody here this morning that wants to take that step? Anybody? Okay, so we're all saved. That's good. So I just want to challenge you. As we're going forward as, as a church, next week is probably one of the most important weeks at our church. It's going to be amazing to see all that God does, and I, I can't wait to share all that he's already done in the last two weeks. Um, but I want to invite you back, but come back with a friend, and I want to share some things that he's put on my heart to, to, for us to be doing as a church as we look forward to those days of going to the unreached. And so this morning I want to pray for you. Um, if, if, if that was you this morning and you, you should raise your hand, um, come talk to me. I'll talk to you one-on-one. -on -one.
Um, but I love you. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're a part of our church. So let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for all that you've done and all that you're going to do. Father, I pray that you would just move in this place. God, awaken our hearts, God, to, to what you're calling us to. And I pray for that we would just be such a church that is invested in taking ownership of what you call us to do as a church. So we love you, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys, have a great week.